Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 56. And the message is simply entitled, The Woman Mary. This will be part one. We're going to take two parts for her. There's so much material. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, has to be the most uh, privileged woman that has ever lived. As um, she was um, chosen by God to bear the Son of God in her womb. But equally, uh, she bore a sword in her heart with all the difficulties that accompanied the call. We as human beings love the privilege of of um, being used and being in prominent places. But we don't like the things that accompany those positions and privileges at time. And we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where men and women are evil. All we have to look is to this last week to see the false charges, the assassination of the character of this man. And um, in spite of no evidence, uh, completely contrary to our Constitution, you are presumed innocent until you are proven guilty. And this was no trial. And so we live in a fallen world. And um, it, there, like I said this morning, there's a bad dentist, good dentist. There's bad teachers, good teachers. There's uh, good pastors, bad pastors. Uh, welcome to the world. And that's why God gives you the word so you can drop the plumb line and discern and know who is crooked and who is straight. Who is being a doer of the word of God and who is not. And that's really the standard. Now, one writer declared that Mary was the only mother in the world that ever found it an impossibility to make an idol of her child. All other mothers have to guard against this sin throughout their lives. So what we want to do is look at Mary, at Gabriel's annunciation as described by Luke. It is to him that we owe the greater detail of this event as well as the birth of Jesus. If you remember, we went through the Gospel of Luke. It's an incredible gospel, great detail. And Matthew begins with the crisis of her pregnancy and Gabriel's revelation to Joseph that it was the work of God. Mark and John do not give us the annunciation or birth of Christ, but simply begin with the ministry of John and the baptism of Jesus. Um, there is a threefold movement in the Annunciation by angel, uh, the angel Gabriel here to Mary in verse 26 to 56. Let me give you the three movements. First, we have Mary and Gabriel in verse 26 um, through 38. Secondly, you have Mary and Elizabeth, 39 to 45. And thirdly, you have Mary and God in 46. To 56. And so we begin with Mary and Gabriel. This is the communication, verse 26 to 38. In 26 to 29, notice the visitation to Mary is given. The person announcing the birth of the Messiah is Gabriel, verse 26 and 19, also if you go back, uh, who was sent from God, and he stands in the presence of God. Gabriel is a very important angel. He's the an angel with the big mouth. He's always sharing good news. Michael's the fighter for Israel. Okay. Um, the place was a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And we've gone through this before. Nazareth was not a place that was very highly uh, thought of. Um, a, it's not where you would um, choose to have your son born if you were of high privilege. But here you have God the Father uh, or not born, but to live because he was born in Bethlehem and then he moved over to Nazareth. But that's the type of God we serve. He sent the son so that we could all identify with him. No one would ever be able to say, well, Jesus doesn't understand what it is to be poor. Jesus doesn't understand what it is to live in, um, in, in bad places. Jesus understand, doesn't understand when someone has abandoned me. No, nobody can ever say anything like that to Jesus. No one at all. Um, Nazareth is in the valley of um, the low Galilee, southwest of the Sea of Galilee, north of the great plain of Esdralon. Um, the city is around 80 miles from Jerusalem north, and therefore merchants of Greece as well as Roman soldiers were not uncommon, nor 
the sinful lifestyle that was practiced by them. Uh, we've already seen uh, through our studies that um, uh, the people at uh, Jerusalem, the, they would look down on the Galileans. It wasn't a very, it was considered a Gentile area. And the Jews that lived there were looked down upon. Um, that is why Nathaniel said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth in John 1.46? Um, the uh, Gospels are very, very clear about the locations, how they were uh, looked at and thought of. Uh, notice verse 27. The person visited was a virgin. She was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Matthew 1.18 confirms this. Um, by the way, both Mary and Joseph were of the line in the house of David through a different lineage. Um, Matthew um, goes through Solomon and uh, Luke goes through uh, Nathan because of Jeconiah was cursed from the seed. One's an ascension, the other one's a descension, but they both were in the line in the house of David. And even if Joseph through Jeconiah was disqualified, doesn't matter because Joseph was not the father. It was the Holy Spirit. But they were both of the house of David. Um, she was betrothed to this man. And uh, the virgin is named Mary. And the, she was a virgin, Parthenos, meaning sexually pure from any sexual intercourse with a man. Um, she was betrothed. Uh, this identifies the period of engagement of one year prior to the consummation and was as binding as uh, marriage and needed a writing of divorce uh, to be dissolved by two witnesses. Once a young woman entered into this, um, you could be engaged when you were little. Father and mothers and families, uh, prearranged marriages, you know, you have a little boy, he's about four or five, and girls four and five, or maybe three or whatever, and they say, you know, we, we ought to just make an arrangement. And they would, they, they would, um, they would promise them to each other and marry. But when they got older, they would have to make the decision themselves to enter to this one year of betrothal. If they agreed to this betrothal, they would live as married but not live together. There would be no consummation. But that period was as binding as marriage so that if you were divorced or you didn't want to follow through with it, there would have to be a writing of divorce or if there was unfaithfulness. So you can understand that a woman could be a widow who was married in this betrothal for that year, and if her betrothed husband-to-be was killed, she would be called a widow and a virgin. Now, you and I as a Westerner have a problem with that because we have to understand the culture, right? And so she was a woman of purity during this one-year period. She was fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew 1, 23 um, declares the fulfillment of that. This was done in fulfillment of Isaiah, and he quotes that verse, that prophet. And there are two words for virgin in the Hebrew. One is Bethula. It's a virgin not betrothed or a spouse. We find this in Genesis 24, 16, when Rebekah came out to the well. There's another word, <clears throat> Alma. This describes a virgin betrothed or a spouse in this engagement period. And you find that in Genesis 24, 43, again, regarding Rebecca, once she accepted the engagement. She was a spouse to Joseph, notice, a righteous man, carpenter, um, supposed um, father of of uh, Jesus, Matthew thirteen fifty five and Mark six three, uh, because he was not, but yet he was married to Mary. Um, the salutation notice in verse twenty eight uh, to Mary was rejoice highly favored. The Lord is with you. Um, her rejoicing was to be in the fact that God had graciously and sovereignly chosen her. 
but not against her will. God doesn't just choose a person and say, well, I'm going to do this through you. There's always free moral agency in the scripture. If God forces you to do something, then how can he really reward you? It would be false. If God forced you to do evil and then punished you for it, how can he be holy? How can he be good? God knows all things so he can declare them before they happen so when they happen, you know he's God. There's no problem with him. We have a problem, but not with him. She was the recipient of grace, not the source or dispenser of grace. This is important if you are a Catholic and you're not born again that you understand this. She's not the dispenser of grace. She was the recipient of grace. The Bible never teaches that Mary is a co-redemptress or a dispenser of grace or a mediator to bring us to God. That's blasphemous. That's idolatrous. In fact, when we look at the Magnificat in Luke later on, she, she said that she, she acknowledged her own sinfulness and her need of a savior. She was a sinner like anybody else. She had two sinful parents, and therefore when they conceived her, she was a sinner, just like you and I. Okay? Very important. Now, her confidence was to be in the fact that God was with her. Notice that. Her privilege was in the fact that she had been blessed among women, not above women. Once again, clarity. The word blessed, eulogio, means well-spoken. We get our word eulogy from it. When you go to a funeral, there are people who eulogize the departed one. They speak well of them. That's the word. Well-spoken. Why? Because they were high privilege. Not because she was above women. But the God had chosen her among women. From among women. There's a big difference among and above. The same word is used by Elizabeth for Mary in verse 42. Mary was a chosen as a vessel unto honor, not by virtue of her own merit or sinlessness, as she will confess, as I said later on, in that magnificent song of hers. Now notice in 29, the perplexity in her mind and heart was great over the manner of the greeting. Mary was troubled, agitated greatly, it means. She was probably a young girl of 14 to 16 years of age. Uh, if you can remember back at that age when you were there. And all of a sudden, this angel appears to you and shares these particular things that we're looking at here. Um, it would be kind of startling. Um, Mary was not of the wealthy class, but of the poor class. The word consider there means um, to bring together different reasons to reckon up the reasons to resolve in one's mind and then deliberate the conclusion of the understanding. You know, you, 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 she's wrestling with this stuff. It's just, well, you know, okay, you're saying this, and I've never known a man, and this, and I'm going to have a doubt. You know, she's just, she's listening, she's receiving it, but there's all the, um, uh, the mental um, assessment, if you will. In verse 30 to 33, the revelation to Mary is given. The personal privilege is revealed in verse 30 and 31. Gabriel said she was not to be afraid for she had found favor with God in verse 30. She would conceive in her womb and bring forth a son, the beginning of 31. Son with a capital S, meaning God would become man. She was to call his name Jesus, the remainder of 31, 
Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua is a contraction of Yahweh, Shua, Jehovah. Yahweh is salvation. The prophetic accuracy is revealed in 32 and 33. He would be great and will be called the son of the highest, describing who he was to be. He wasn't a mere man. He was a God-man. He would be given. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Describing what he was to obtain. He would reign over the house of Jacob forever, he says in 33 there. Describing the extent of his reign. Very specific things. His kingdom shall never end. Describing the duration of his kingdom. Remember he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one said his people. The Jews. The prophecies were given to the Jewish nation. They had the high privilege to receive the oracles of God, Paul says in Romans. They had no excuse. His name is Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew one twenty three, the God-man. According to the promise that God gave to David in 2 Samuel 7, 14-16, the short-term fulfillment, his son Solomon would sit on the throne. Long-term the Messiah would come through the line of David and he would sit on the throne forever. Wow. Isaiah 9, 6-7, a son is given him, son is born, a son is given. Notice he is God, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father and eternal. Even as 1 Timothy three sixteen and many other passages declare. Mary had to have been stunned and humbled by this High privilege revealed to her. We live in such an arrogant, proud world today. Everybody's so full of themselves. They think they deserve everything and they think they're so great. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm surprised they don't throw up all over themselves. Verse 34 to 38, we get the explanation to Mary. The petition asked by Mary was basic in verse 34. How can there, can there this be since I do not know a man? How could she conceive a child never having had sex with a man and still a virgin? The proclamation declared by the angel is in 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. It was to be a divine work, not human. God intervenes into the natural world with all its imperfection, with all its fallenness. And he overrides the natural laws, cause and effect of things that are called miracles. There's no problem with him doing that. The word overshadow means to envelop and is used five times in the New Testament. It appears three times in the account of the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew 17, 5, Mark 9, 7, and Luke 9, 34. One time in Acts for the shadow of Peter and the healing of people in Acts 5, 15. And one time here, um, or one time in Matthew so, again, when the words of the Bible are used, you see the context and how they're used either in the same exact form or in different forms, and the context is very, very important. Now, the person to be born was to be noticed, the Holy One called the Son of God in verse 35 there towards the end. Here was to be the fulfillment of the promise to Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman is 
a child to be born of a woman without the aid of a man. A woman has the egg, the man has the seed. The seed of the woman, the woman does not have the seed. All right? The fulfillment of the first promise. The promise of redemption came before the judgment over Adam and Eve, by the way. You ever see the order in Genesis? God's a little different than us. Scripture confirms this faithfully. The seed of David after the promise of the seed of the woman in Romans 8, 3. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 7.26 and many, many others. No sin nature was in Jesus. He's called the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15.45. Don't call him the second Adam, because if you call him the second Adam, then there's a potential third, fourth, fifth, sixth. He's, there's the first Adam who failed and brought sin and death into the world, and the last Adam, which destroyed, he who has the power of death and atonement for sin. So you tonight stand in the first Adam, dead in your trespasses and sins, separated from God, or one with Jesus Christ because you believe that he died in your place and paid the price of your sin. One of the two. Notice the personal consolation to Mary in 36 and 37. In 36, Elizabeth, her relative, who was barren, had also conceived and was six months pregnant already. Elizabeth was a second cousin to Mary. I am amazed at how often God works in families. <laughs> you can go all through the Bible and see it. Elizabeth's conception and hers were God's doing. Look at verse 37. For nothing is impossible for God. Elizabeth was old. Read Luke 1. She was decrepit. Her husband, Zacharias, had been praying. The angel appeared to him. He says, God has heard your prayers. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a child. He didn't believe it, so God said, okay, because you doubted me, you're not going to be able to speak until the birth of the child. <laughs> so much for the faith of him, huh? God sometimes works without anybody believing him. He just does what he wills. He's sovereign. Notice the personal submission of Mary to God's will in verse 38. Don't miss that. Personal submission. Free will. Okay? It says her perspective was that she saw herself as the slave of God by choice. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. The phrase maidservant, dulo, appears three times in the New Testament. Um, Verse 38, 48, and Acts 2, 18. The prophecy of Joel, too. They would prophesy. Her priority was God's will and purposes. Notice that. Let it be to me according to your word. She's received this. She's processed that. She's thought about it. Now, a 14 to 16-year-old in those days was a lot more mature than a 14 to 16-year-old today. They lived in the real world. Poverty. Suffering. Hard work. Whole different thing. She's thinking this through. And she decides, let it be according to your word. Her personal commitment was to risk disgrace, divorce, and defamation of character for the purposes of God. Quite a mature young woman. The very same kind of living sacrifice 
that her own son would yield in his prayer at Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. Hmm. When James uh, Calvert went out to cannibal Fiji with the message of the gospel, the captain of the ship in which he traveled sought to dissuade him. He said, you will risk your life and all those with you if you go among such savages. He said, Calvert's magnificent reply was, we died before we came here. Wow. The Fiji Islands were converted. The cannibals didn't eat people after a while <laughs> through the gospel. God will visit each of us throughout our lives to be used by him, but each time we must yield, he does not force us. Forces no one. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we might walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 says that there is a yielding, there is an obeying. God will come to us in our own Nazareth, wherever it might be. What would you have your servant to do, Lord? Were the first words out of the mouth of Paul when he was arrested by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Wow. God calls us despite ourselves, not because of ourselves. Um, Luke seventeen ten says, So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. How different this is from the philosophy in the mind of people today. Hmm. Mary and Gabriel give us the communication. Secondly comes Mary and Elizabeth, the confirmation in verse 39 through 45. Um, in 41, 39 to 41, Mary went to see her cousin Elizabeth now. And Mary um, went from Nazareth to the city of, um, of Judah in the hill country Hebron, which was um, in times past called Kirhath-Tharba, uh, which was one of the towns that were given to the Levites, a city of the priests which was situated in the tribe of Judah about 40 miles south of Jerusalem and upward to 70 from Nazareth. You find this location in Joshua 14, 15 and Joshua 21, verse 11. The manner in which she went is said to be with haste, notice that, referring to the earnest of her mind and diligence to visit her relative Elizabeth and to see what the Lord had wrought for her. She's gotten this news from the from Gabriel. You know, your, 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 your cousin's pregnant too. What? She's old. Two extremes. 14 to 16. 80, 90. <laughs> Amazing. Look at 40. Mary entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And Zacharias was her husband. Zacharias was the priestly order. Um, and had been in the temple, as we said earlier, according to his course, when the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that Elizabeth was pregnant. You find that in Luke 1, 5 through 25. And the child to be born would be John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Messiah. Zacharias was dumb. He couldn't speak because of his lack of faith at the announcement of his birth there in chapter 1 of Luke. The name was given for Jesus and the name for John was given. Elizabeth was well advanced in years as Zechariah. Once again, in the first chapter of Luke, verse 7, Elizabeth was six months into her pregnancy, verse 36 tells us. Mary's voice caused the babe to leap in Elizabeth's womb, verse 41 
tells us. So when Mary walks in and she speaks to her cousin, John the Baptist does a backflip in her womb. Wow. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The prophecy was that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Luke 1.15. Wow. The Spirit bearing witness with their spirit, the works of God in both of them. God announces something. He gives guidance and direction. He brings them both together. Confirmation. The Spirit bearing witness again. The work of God. Look at verse 42 through 45. Mary is honored by her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth confirmed what the angel Gabriel had told her. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. The son of the highest, the son of God. And in 43, Elizabeth confessed her unworthiness before Mary. She's an older woman. Her second cousin, listen, confessing her prayer. Why is this granted to me? Confessing her to be the mother of her personal Lord. Underline that. In 44 and 45, Elizabeth celebrated her experience with Mary. In 44, she told her of the celebration between her voice and the babe, or the correlation between her voice and the babe, leaping in her womb. She ties them together. This is no happenstance, no coincidence. She didn't have an upset stomach. This is God working, confirming between these two ladies what God has promised. She spoke well of her for believing God's messenger and that all would come to pass, verse 45. Now at this point when this is happening, this is 4,000 years since the promise. From Genesis 3.15 to Abraham, the beginning of chapter 12 is 2,000 years. From chapter 12 of Genesis to the beginning of New Testament is 2,000 more years. 4,000 years. God's never tardy or late. He's right on time. Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman under the law. Right on time. Gideon, if you remember, was sent by God down to the camp of the Midianites that he might hear the dream of one of the soldiers to confirm that God was going to use him to defeat them and it would encourage him in Judges 7, 9. If God speaks to you, then he'll confirm it through his word. Now, a lot of people say a lot of weird things that God tells them to do. If God's speaking to you, don't come to ask me what God means. If God speaks to you, he will confirm it through his word. People often say, well, you know, I had a dream and, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I had some bad pizza. If God is speaking to you through a dream, then you go to God say, Lord, is this of you? Then if it is, he'll show you. But he'll confirm it through his word. It won't be adding to his word, taking away from his word, contradicting his word, or being weird. It's not the God we serve. Be careful of the extreme Pentecostalism of people trying to appear spiritual by telling you how spiritual they are. You have the word, the plumb line, drop it and judge them by the word of God. Very important. Do you do with haste the things that God tells you and calls you to do? Or do you procrastinate? Nehemiah prayed that God would use him as a king cupbearer in Nehemiah 1.11. Right where we was at. Nehemiah said, well, you know, I really can't do nothing for God. Here I am. I'm the cupbearer. I'm a servant to the king. And, you know, I can't go to Jerusalem. But he began to pray. He turned to God. He didn't procrastinate. 
Do you bear witness with the spirit of other Christians as you confirm the things of God? Or do you just accept everything everybody says? What do you judge it by? Your own subjective reasoning? Your own opinion? By Wikipedia? Or by the Bible? We're not to compare ourselves by ourselves or among ourselves lest we be unwise, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Do you recognize the place of honor that God has given to others? If so, what is your attitude towards them? Are you envious? Are you jealous? Or do you celebrate them? Do you say, man, God, you're so good. This hand has never been jealous of my left foot. My right foot has never been jealous of my left ear. They know what they are. They know what they're called to do. And the head gives the message. My body is well coordinated. My hands and my feet have never fought against each other. The illustration is clear for the body of Christ, and yet we don't get it. So we become envious and jealous and comparing ourselves among ourselves, so we end up being unwise. Rather than going to God say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Let me do it and to your glory and thank you. Wow. Hmm. Jesus said to take the lower seat, not the one in front, lest you be asked to sit in the back. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invites you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Luke fourteen ten. <laughs> Interesting. Mary and Elizabeth gives us the confirmation. Notice thirdly, we have Mary and God now. The exaltation in verse 46 through 56. In 46 through 50, Mary gave all glory to God. She sang the song known as the Magnificat in the Latin Vulgate. Latin Vulgate was to the vulgar people. To the common people, vulgar in Spanish and Latin. Some have um, compared it to Hannah's song of triumph in the face of her enemy in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. It's an interesting comparison. Notice verse 46, she and her soul magnified or declared the greatness of her Lord. She and her spirit rejoiced in God, her Savior. Listen, God, her Savior, verse 47. Mary was not sinless. She didn't believe herself to be sinless. She didn't believe to be deity. Her own words. Mary confessed her own need of a Savior. Mary confessed her own sinfulness and sin nature as all others. Mary was not a perpetual virgin, nor was she sinless. She had other children, Matthew 13, 55 through 56, Luke 1, 25, and other places also. Jesus had brothers, half-brothers, half-sisters. Their names are given to us. That, the word is not cousins like the Catholic Church says. That's a lie. Okay? Because they teach the perpetual virginity of Mary, which is not biblical, is not scriptural. Look at verse 48. She acknowledged her own lowliness and God's sovereign choosing of her, and that all future generations, listen, would call her blessed. To be declared blessed by God, not that she was the source of blessing, but that she would be blessed. In 49, she declared that God, who is mighty, had done great things for her, and he was holy. The pregnancy was by the power of God, 
not human. The holiness of God ensured the purity of the work. She proclaimed the mercy of God on all who fear him in every generation. Verse 50. She was an instrument, a vessel of the gospel, the very Savior. Look at 51 through 56. Mary gave God's past works of glory. In 51, God has been strong against the imaginations of the proud. In 52, God has removed the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble. In 53, God has met the needs of the poor and removed the things of the rich. In 54, God has helped Israel, his servant, in view of his mercy. God did all this in faithfulness to his covenant with Abraham. Genesis 15, 17, and many other passages here in verse 55. God is true to his word. He's faithful. Notice verse 56. Mary gave her time to Elizabeth. She remained with her three months. Verse 56, the first part tells us. And that would have made her nine months pregnant. That would have made Mary three months pregnant. Whether she was present at the birth of John is not stated. So there was six months difference between John the Baptist and Jesus' cousins. John was older than Jesus. Also in 56, notice she returned to her house to be looked down on by many, to bear the sword of that God called her to bear. Sometimes things happen in our life as Christians. Our first thought is, why God? I've got a better statement for you. Why not? Am I so special? Does God owe me something? Hmm. Won't put it this way. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for help that I might be greater or do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Wow. Heavenly perspective. We have to always remember to give God all the glory. Paul makes this very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Men glory in themselves and many things, but if anybody's going to glory, let them glory in the Lord, Paul says. Nothing else. We have to always remember the past works of God, lest we are prone not only to take the credit, but to trust in our own strength. Spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord. The power is mine. Put on the whole armor of God. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and power, dominion of darkness and heavenly places. Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan's not after non-believers. They belong to him. 
Satan's after believers. Read the New Testament. We have to be givers of ourselves to others out of love and not merely takers all the time. Jesus told the disciples after he washed their feet and gave them the example of a servant in John thirteen thirty five. By this shall I know that you're my disciples, you have to love one another. Are you a Christian who loves your brother and sister, who see yourself as a servant to them, to do all you can? Or do you keep a ledger, say, well, you know, I picked him up twice to go to breakfast, and uh, he's never taken me to breakfast. Hmm. That's the way we used to be. Selfish. You owe me. Got to put on the mind of Christ, ladies and gentlemen. That doesn't come naturally. I have to reckon the old man dead. I have to put on the mind of Christ. I have to deny myself. I have to pick up my cross and follow him daily. Daily. We have to die to self daily or we will be of no good to anyone. And most of all, no good to God. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher, Jesus said in Luke 6, 40. How are we doing? Nobody's perfect. We're going to fail. But let's fail trying to hit the mark. Let's not just shoot it anywhere. Before we had no ability to hit the mark. Now we have the ability to hit the mark by the grace of God. And so, learn to do good warfare. It's a good warfare. It's a winnable warfare. It works. The Bible works. I'm going to give you the key. Ready? You must die. If you don't die... The Bible doesn't work. The more you try to live, the less it works. You must die to self and trust God to live through you every day. Mary and God gives us the exaltation. And so, this threefold movement in the Annunciation to Mary provides for us some interesting information regarding the person of Mary. Mary and Gabriel, the communication. Mary and Elizabeth, the confirmation. And Mary and God, the exaltation. Clear truth. No need for opinions. No need for speculation. If you study the gospel and the word of God in context, you're going to get objective truth. That you can count on absolute truth. This is God's revelation, not man's writings. Inerrant, infallible. You can depend your eternity on it. Father, we worship you. We thank you for tonight and for your goodness. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, we thank you for your word, your goodness to preserve it, to keep it. Your Holy Spirit to illuminate and to convict and to instruct us, Lord. And so we pray that in all things we would look to you, that our eyes would not be upon man, upon pastors, upon anybody but you, Lord. And that we thank you for everything we have, all that you give to us, our health. And even in the difficult times that we look to you and trust you, Lord. And so, Father, I just lift every person here and anyone over the internet or the radio, Lord, that you would just speak to their hearts. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet or the radio. God has spoken to you and allowed you to see that you're a sinner in need of salvation and that Jesus is the Son of God who died in your place and tasted death for you then you can call upon him. 
The Bible says the gospel loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in should not perish but have everlasting life. God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You're trusting what he accomplished for you. He made the payment for your sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 says, because you are holy. Jesus became sin. The Father could not look upon him. And the wrath of the Father was poured upon the Son. In my place, he died. In my place, he bore that. And he made a real payment. There was real forgiveness. Real potential redemption for those who believe that work that Jesus accomplished. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. Not my words, the words of God. If you want to accept Christ Jesus right now and know that your sins can be forgiven, placed in the deepest ocean, never to be mentioned again, it comes through repentance, acknowledging your sinfulness and calling upon him. This is a simple prayer of repentance. It's your prayer to him, not to us. If you want to accept him, repent of your sins. This is your prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you. As my Lord and Savior. In Jesus name. Amen.